Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. In your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you a story I came across this week about an artist. Artists sometimes do some bizarre things to get attention. And so back in 2001, a British artist named Michael Landy decided to do a public art project called Breakdown. Breakdown. Now, what did he do? His idea was that he wanted to destroy every single one of his possessions in public. So what he did was he rented out a warehouse in London. He brought in over 7,000 items that were his. He placed them in these little tubs, these yellow trays, put them on a conveyor belt, and he brought in things that he had amassed for over 30 years of his life. And he brought them in to be destroyed, to be crushed, to be sent off to a landfill. It took two weeks to complete. So he brought in over 7,000 pieces of stuff. He brought in clothing, every single one of his clo- last pieces of clothing. Old love letters, his former artwork, his father's leather coat. He even brought in his Saab 900 turbo car to have it crushed. So every single item was stripped, crushed, shredded, dismantled, and destroyed to the tune of David Bowie music. Okay, So he destroyed every single thing he had. All that he had left at the end of this art project was the blue overalls that he had been wearing. That's the only thing he had left. He destroyed everything publicly, down to the last bit of clothing, except for what was on, his, on himself. And later he was interviewed and said it was the happiest two weeks of his life. And he didn't know of anybody else who had publicly destroyed all of their worldly possessions in front of a live audience. Now this is kind of radical. It's kind of bizarre when you think about what a artist is going to do, would any of us here destroy every single piece of stuff that we have down to even our last piece of clothing and do it publicly for all to see? It's kind of weird. It's kind of radical to get rid of all of our worldly belongings. Now, why do I bring up this issue of destroying all your worldly belongings, getting rid of everything, having everything stripped and taken away? Because Jesus' words to us this morning are pretty radical. They're disorienting. And they involve giving up things to follow Him. So let's read the words of our Savior this morning. This is right on the heels of where we left off last week. We're going to read what we read last week, but I want to give us the whole context. So let's begin in Luke chapter 9 starting in verse 18. 
Now, it had happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old is risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them not to tell this to anyone, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would want to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what is a profit if a man gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Last week, we explored the question that Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? And what was the answer that Peter gave? You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the anointed prophet. You're the anointed priest. You're the anointed king. You're the Messiah. Okay, what was the Messiah's mission? What was the mission of Jesus? He must suffer many things, be rejected, be killed, and rise again. And so the cross of Christ, this suffering, is an unrepeatable, glorious sacrificial, finished work. Jesus suffered the cross. He bore the full wrath of God, as we sang earlier. He satisfied God's justice. He reconciled us to himself. He redeemed us out of bondage to slavery and to Satan. He has freed us. He has saved us. He has finished the work on the cross. And so before we go any further this morning, we should never lose sight of the wonderful cross. We should never get our eyes off of the glories of Calvary the finished work of Christ on our behalf. You see, one of the dangers of Christianity is that we can become very Christian-centered and not Christ-centered. We can focus so much on what we're supposed to be doing for Jesus that we stop and forget what Jesus has done for us. A lot of the podcasts, YouTube clips, social media, Facebook, Christian broadcasting, Christian radio, a lot of things are very Christian-focused, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But we can get so out of balance and focusing on what we need to do for Jesus that we forget, first and foremost, it's about what Jesus has done for us. And he saved us by his grace in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so we need to hear the gospel often. We need to hear what Jesus has done for us often. We need to never lose sight of what Christ has done. Now, the reason I say that is because Jesus is going to shift gears and he's going to give us a demand of how we are to live what we're supposed to do in light of who he is as the Messiah. So who is Jesus? He's the Messiah of God. He's the 
king. He's the Christ. He is the Lord. What's his mission? To die on the cross and rise again. So let's ask the question for today. That's the question we asked last week. Today's the question, well, what does this Messiah require of us? What does he demand of all who would follow him? Notice what he says, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So what I want to do is I want to explore this passage from two vantage points, from two truths. Here's the first. There is a great cost to following Jesus. There's a great cost to following Jesus. In verse 23, these are all commands. They are in what we call the imperative mood. It means they're commands that Jesus gives. They're demands upon us. What are these demands? If anyone would come after me, first let him deny himself. We're to deny ourselves. Now, what does it mean to deny ourselves? What's well, a strong word in the original language? It means to renunciate, to repudiate, to disown, to forsake. What it means is this. We see ourselves as spiritually bankrupt. We see ourselves as totally unworthy of anything because of our sin. We give up relying upon ourselves. We give up relying upon our own willpower. We give up relying upon our own resources. And we trust totally in Christ alone for salvation. Mickey, one of our elders, read these passages earlier, but I want to just remind him, remind us of them. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, we have a natural bent to want to go our own way. To do our own thing. That was Adam and Eve's problem in the garden. They did their own thing. They went their own way. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 2. Understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Notice how Paul lists that first. People will be lovers of self. Self-lovers. Lovers of money. Proud. Arrogant. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. To deny yourself means you give up what you are by nature. Now, what are we by nature? Self-absorbed, self-sufficient, self-interested, prideful, lustful, selfish, self-reliant. We categorically give up on trying to be a good person in order to earn God's favor, relying upon self and instead trusting in Christ. You know, Paul, the apostle, was very aware of his past life as a Pharisee before Christ saved him. What was Paul's life like before he was a Pharisee? He was a prideful, self-righteous persecutor of Christians. He had the accolades. He had the resume to put before God and say, look at me, I'm this great Jewish Pharisee. But listen to how Paul describes his life once Christ saved him. In Philippians 3, 7-9. But whatever gain I had... 
I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on Paul says, whatever I had in my past, all those accolades, all those things that I'd piled up, I count them as scubalon. It's the Greek word for rubbish. Paul uses a PG-13 word there. I don't know if I could say it in a worship service. It may be borderline. I'm not going to say it. But it's kind of a PG-13 word that means dung, rotten food, refuse, anything that is disgustingly unclean or worthless. And so Paul says, everything about my life before, I count as loss. I renounce it. I repudiate it because I want to gain Christ. You see, denying yourself means that you don't trust in your own righteousness. You, you don't trust in what you can produce. You don't trust in what you can do. You totally cast yourself at the mercy of Christ and his righteousness alone. It means that we're desperately aware that we are nothing without Jesus. And not even our good deeds will merit his acceptance. John Stott has said this. He said, self-denial is not denying ourselves luxuries such as chocolates, cakes, cigarettes, and cocktails, though it may include this. It is actually denying or disowning ourselves, renouncing our supposed right to go our own way, To deny oneself is to turn away from the idolatry of self-centeredness. The idolatry of self-centeredness. How many of us have put ourselves as an idol? The idol of self-centeredness. We've elevated ourselves as the ultimate idol. So deny ourselves. And then secondly, Jesus says, commands us, take up your cross daily. Now, we kind of get confused with this language. We would kind of use this terminology in our culture today. Yeah, I've got a cross to bear. It's my cross to bear. Kind of like it's an inconvenience. You know, I had, to go, I had to go three hours without a snicker bar. I got hangry. That's my cross to bear. You know, we kind of throw that word around as if it's like a minor inconvenience. We need to understand that culture. The cross in that culture was an instrument of death, humiliation shame. To the Jewish mind, the cross meant that you were cursed of God. To the Gentile mind, it meant that you were the lowest of criminals. It would be like, you know how people wear crosses around their necks? It would be like wearing an electric chair around your neck. That would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? It's an instrument of cruelty. It's an instrument of shame. It's an instrument of of death and suffering. Remember what Jesus just said right before this. What did Jesus say in the verse just right before this? Contextually. Verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Now, ultimately, Jesus had a cross to bear. Unrepeatable, finished work, died for our sins. But our cross to bear is to be willing to suffer persecution for the name of Christ. To be willing to suffer 
the shame of what it means to take up the name of Christ. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my words, they will also keep yours. To take up our cross daily means we voluntarily say we are going to be willing to accept the suffering that comes from being a Christian, of naming the name of Christ to maybe be hated by the world. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter 4.16 If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We don't take up our cross in order to be saved. We take up our cross as a result of being saved in that we're willing to suffer for Christ, suffer for the gospel, suffer for his namesake. So we're to deny ourselves the idolatry of self-centeredness. We're to be willing to take up the shame of what it means to, to have Christ as our Savior. And then thirdly, he says, follow me. Follow me. He had just identified himself as the Messiah the King, the anointed Savior. So to follow Jesus means we are to trust in Him as our Savior, to trust Him as our Lord, to receive Him, to believe in Him. John 1, 12-13, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To follow Jesus means to receive Him, to believe in Him. You're very familiar with John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay, so if we take these three terms together, what's Jesus saying? We've got to repent of selfish idolatry and pride. We've got to trust in Jesus as the Messiah and be willing to accept the shame that comes along with naming Christ as our Lord. In other words, there's a tremendous cost to becoming a Christian. It requires repentance. It requires self-renunciation. It requires saying no to the idolatry of selfishness and pride. It means being willing to suffer persecution for his name. Diedrich Bonhoeffer famously said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. In fact, every command of Jesus is a call to die with all our affections and lusts. To follow Jesus is a call to die. To die to yourself, to die to the world, to die to your past, to trust Christ alone. Now, before we move forward, let me me address two misunderstandings of this passage of Scripture. These are radical words. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. Deny yourself. Okay, let, let me clear up a couple of misunderstandings about how these verses may have been misapplied or misunderstood over the years. What this is talking about is conversion, repentance, and faith, trusting in Jesus. Now, 
Here's the first thing we need to understand about this. The first thing I need to warn us about. We must never think that we can do these things in our own power and strength. If you get this, you'll get the rest of Christianity. Just because Jesus gives you a law that you must fulfill does not mean you have the power to fulfill it. Now, it's there because we have to do it. But Jesus, in the command, gives us the power to fulfill it. In other words, we need supernatural grace before we can take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. Don't ever think that you can just one day wake up and do these things in your own power. There needs to be a supernatural work of grace deep in your heart through the Holy Spirit to give you the willingness and the power to do this. You have to have God's Spirit grant you the regenerating power so that you can take up your cross and follow Him and deny yourselves. In other words, you need to be regenerated. You need to be born again in order to do what Jesus commands. John 3, 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This supernatural work of being born again, you can't produce. God has to do it. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. God has to make you alive. You can't make yourself alive. God makes you alive. And when God makes you alive, he gives you the power to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Augustine famously wrote, and this got Augustine in trouble back in the 400s. He said, God, grant what you command and command what you will. In other words, Augustine understood that God gives commands for us to follow, but we can't follow those commands without his grace. So yes, these are commands by Jesus for us to follow, but we cannot in and of ourselves follow them without his empowering work. Some of you may be familiar with Greek mythology. Now remember, it's mythology. It's not true. It's pagan mythology. But there was a king named Sisyphus. Sisyphus was the ancient king of Corinth. And Sisyphus was kind of a wicked, kind of a, uh, a trickster. He tried to trick Zeus tried to like play a trick on Zeus, and Zeus got mad at him. So Zeus sent Sisyphus to the underworld. And you know what Sisyphus' punishment was in the underworld? He had to roll a boulder up a hill in order for the boulder to roll back down. Roll the boulder up the hill, it rolled back down. That was his punishment for eternity. Sounds like a fun life, right? Rolling the ball up the hill, comes back down. Here's the point. If you try to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus, it's like you rolling the boulder up the hill only to have it come back down upon you. You can't do it. You need supernatural grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to give you that ability to follow Jesus. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God has to work in you to give you that faith to take up your cross and follow Jesus. So that's, that's danger number one, thinking we can do this in our own power. Here's a danger number two. We must be careful not to see this as only for super Christians who've arrived at this upper spiritual level of commitment. 
This, this, this call to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus, that's for super Christians that have really arrived. Those turbo Christians, those ones on that higher plane of existence that have surpassed everybody else. No, notice what Jesus says. Let's read it, for, let's read it at face value. Verse 23, he said to all, if anyone would come after me. This is the call to discipleship. This is the call to follow Jesus. This is the call to anybody. Taking up your cross, repenting, trusting in Jesus, this is part and parcel of the Christian life for all believers. This is not just for super spiritual people. This is part and parcel of the Christian life. Okay, so the first thing we we talked about this morning was there's a great cost to following Jesus. Let's look at the second aspect. There is a great reward for following Jesus. Now, he kind of frames it in a very interesting way, Jesus does. He uses marketplace language, like trade-offs and things like that, profits, losses. Now, I want you to notice in verse 24, 25, and 26, they all start with the word for. For, verse 24. Verse 25, for. Verse 26, for. There's three fours there. (laughs) Three fours. Three F-O-Rs. Three fours. So each of these statements are talking about the reward for following Christ, but it's framed kind of in a weird way. So in verse 24, what Jesus is saying is if you hold fast to your selfish pride, you will lose your soul in hell. And you're like, where'd you get that, Pastor Sean? Where'd you get the word soul and where'd you get the word hell? In the original language, the word life there is the word soul. Some of the older translations may have the word soul in there. Life, soul, basically the same thing. But notice what he says there. If you want to save your soul, if you want to save your soul, somehow you're thinking you can do it by holding on to all of your stuff, if you're in charge of saving your soul, you'll actually lose it. But if you lose your soul, for my sake, you'll actually save it. Now the word lose there is a very interesting word. The word lose is where we get the word perish in John 3.16. Perish means to die eternally in hell. So what Jesus is saying here is if you want to try to somehow save your life by being all about you, it'll send you straight to hell. But if you want to lose you, you'll get to go to heaven. It's a paradox. If you try to hold on to you, you'll end up in hell. If you give up you, you'll have heaven. And look at the second four. Verse 25. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? There's that word lose again. If you gain all this world has to offer, you'll still perish in hell. Now, I want you to think about all this world has to offer. That's a lot. How did Satan tempt Jesus when he took him to the top? All the kingdoms of the world I'll give you. All this world has to offer. First John tells us about all this world has to offer. First John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world. Okay, what's all that's in the world? John, tell us. The desires of the flesh, 
the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's all that's in the world. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. If you want all this world has to offer, fame, money, fortune, success, popularity, prestige, power, if you want all that and you want to accumulate all that and you live for that, you may end up with that on your deathbed. But as my dad used to say, you've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse, have you? You can't take it with you. You can gain everything this world has to offer and still lose the most important thing. Your soul. Your soul. You guys remember Jim Elliott, the missionary to South America, the Aka Indians? He was speared to death. He and his buddies went out there, and they were trying to witness to those Indians, and they were speared to death. They were martyred. This was back in the late 50s, Jim Elliott. He had a very interesting statement. I'll say it slow, but it's, very, it's one of his most famous statements. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What did he give up? His life. To gain what he couldn't lose, eternal life. Psalm 49, 6-8. Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches... Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. John 12, 25. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, the third four is probably the scariest. Notice what Jesus says in verse 26. Four. Whooever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the fathers and of the holy angels. Here's the point. If you reject Jesus today in pride, on that final day he will reject you. If you reject Jesus, he'll reject you. If you're ashamed of Jesus, being ashamed of Jesus means that you are so prideful, you are so self-sufficient that you've basically said, I've got it, Jesus. I can handle my life. I do not want to trust you as my Lord and Savior. I got it under control. And as a matter of fact, I'm actually kind of ashamed to be associated with you, so I'm going to reject you, Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, if that's what you're going to do in this life, on the day that I come back, I'm going to reject you. In other words, if you haven't repented and believed in Jesus, you will not experience eternal life in heaven. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore do not be ashamed, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, but be willing to share. Now what's going to happen when Jesus comes back on that day? Notice what he says here. The Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes back in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Okay, Jesus doesn't give a lot of, ex- of description in this passage. He just says he's going to come back in glory. Now, Paul fleshes that out for us in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. <coughs> Excuse me. To grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven 
with his mighty angels, inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all those who believed because our testimony to you was believed. Here's the point. If you want to hold on to your life, you'll perish in hell. If you want to gain all this world has to offer, you'll perish in hell. If you reject Jesus and are ashamed of him, he's going to reject you on that final day. So if you're here today and that describes you, what better day than today than to repent and believe, to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow Jesus today. Now, verse 27, how do we handle verse 27? I tell you, there are some standing here. Who are those that are standing there? His 12. That will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. What's Jesus talking about? Is he talking about the second coming? No, because that hasn't happened yet, and these guys are dead. What's he talking about? Most scholars believe it's probably a combination of the resurrection, the ascension, and Pentecost. Now, we know Judas died and wasn't able to see the resurrection in, in those things because, because he died. But I want you to notice something. There's a focus there on seeing. I tell you truly, there are those standing here who will not taste the death until they see the kingdom of God. Those disciples had a wonderful privilege to see the kingdom of God in their day. What did they get to see? They, get to, they got to see the empty tomb. They got to see Jesus in the flesh with his nail-pierced hands. They got to see Jesus go back up in the clouds. They got to see the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost. They got to see with their own eyes some amazing things. Now, we walk by faith, not by sight. But we're called to see. What was read earlier in Hebrews 12 too? Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, one of my favorite hymns encapsulates this passage of Scripture probably better than any other hymn. And it's the hymn by Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. When you see the cross, do you hate your pride? Do you count everything as loss compared to Jesus? Do you deny yourself and follow him? Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, <clears throat> I sacrifice them to his blood. What vain things charm you most? What empty things grab your heart instead of Jesus? Do you sacrifice them to his blood? Do you turn them over to the cross? Do you love the things that this world has to offer? 
We're the whole realm of nature mine. If everything were mine, all of nature, the whole world were mine, that were not a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all. When Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. Have you experienced this cruciating death yourself? Have you died to self? Have you died to the world? Have you said to all the things this world has to offer, I'm renouncing this. I'm willing to lose the world. I'm willing to lose my life. I'm willing to give everything up for the joy of having Jesus. It's for when I lose my life, I really receive life. It's when I hold on to my life and when I hold on to the world that I end up losing everything. Would you trust in Jesus, who is the Christ? Would you be amazed at his love? Would we all deny ourselves, take up our crosses daily, and follow Jesus? Not because we have to, but because we get to. And he's worth every second of it. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. The realm of nature was mine. If you gave me everything this world had to offer, there would be a lot of things that would entice me. There would be a lot of things that would tempt me. And my heart would be wandering towards the things of this world. My heart would be wandering towards what satisfies me. But Lord Jesus, when I survey the wonder's cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on the cross. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. Help us to never forget that your cross is the unrepeatable, sacrificial, once-for-all finished work. satisfies the full justice of God and brings us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering on the cross for our sins. When we look at that love so amazing, so divine, we know it demands our all. It demands us to say no to us, to renounce ourselves, to follow you. And we can't do that in our own strength. So Holy Spirit, we need you desperately. We need your power. We need your grace. We need your, your intervention in our lives. And Lord, this isn't just a one-time thing, but it's the ongoing posture of the Christian life of repentance and faith. We're always repenting. We're always believing. We're always keeping our eyes on you, Jesus. So Lord, my prayer is that every single one of us in this room leaves this place today Understanding the great cost of following you, Jesus, but also the great reward. And we would keep our eyes fixed on you for your glory 
alone. Never for ours, always for yours. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.